You're tuned in to the NWSL Rewind, presented by Modern Soccer Coach. That's what you call USA, razzle-dazzle! Now your host, Clifton Bush. It is time for the NWSL Rewind, presented to you by Modern Soccer Coach. We are here four more games this week. Uh, good, good matches this week, and we are, as always, on the Rewind, appreciative uh, that the schedule has come out the right way with no midweek matches. So we're bringing to you the four highlights of this weekend uh, and an amazing guest that you'll be hearing from for a little bit on the Rewind. We have an amazing guest lined up. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. How you doing, Sierra? I'm good. Really stay tuned. The guest is awesome. It's like super surprising and everyone is going to love it. There you go. You heard it from Sierra. Uh, you know when she says it, it's absolute gold. <laughs> Big time guest here at the Rewind, and we were super, super appreciated that this person uh, spent some time with us. Uh, and you'll be hearing tons of stuff about the the NWSL and beyond. So stay tuned for that. Uh, four matches, though, Sierra. Uh, how'd you feel overall on uh, what you saw this weekend? I think overall, close games. I mean, every game that was won was won by one goal um, or there was a tie. Um, and I think so they were all close games, definitely back and forth. Um, I think, you know, as we start getting more and more into the schedule and deeper into in the games, you're starting to see breakout teams. You're starting to see where teams are falling. And we're talking now more about crucial points that you have to pick up for winning, tying, and all that stuff. So I think we're starting to really kind of look at where people are going to start to fall in the playoffs, who's going to make it, who's not. Yeah, I think tactically we're probably also seeing, I think in the first couple of weeks, there was a lot of, oh, well, what is the adjustment that Laura Harvey's going to make? And yeah. what is Vladko Andonovsky's team going to look like as he comes out? And, you know, is Portland going to keep the same system? And Houston was one that we talked about evolving yeah. systems. And what is it going to look like as it moves forward? I think yeah. now we're at the point where we know yeah, yeah. <laughs> what kind of what teams are going to do, what exactly. they like. Uh, I think we were waiting for Houston to figure out uh, their system and their play, but we've uh, got that done. So now I think that's, I think it's consistency now, now it's consistency and execution. So who's going to be able to week in and week out uh, execute and put points on the, on the board. Portland has got themselves out of their bit of a <laughs> windless slump. Yeah. Uh, with a one nil win over Washington Spirit. Yep. I, I mean, as I think I'll I'll start in with Portland. Um this game to me seemed scoring chance after scoring chance for both squads. Yes. Like so it's a game played in the final third on each side of the team or each side of the park. But only one chance scored. So yeah. I think for both teams. I'll start there. It's like, how do we finish more opportunities? Because right. they created a lot of opportunities. Um, whether that was balls going across the six or shots yeah. on goal that went directly to goalkeepers, whatever it may be. There was a lot happening in the attack for both of these sides with very, very few goals. Uh, again, I will start with a bit of a shout out for Ellie Carpenter. Yeah, youngest What did I say? What did I say last week? Did made sure to get that in last week and this week. Boom. Good luck charm. I'm telling you. Telling you. 
So Ellie Carpenter gets her first goal of the league, youngest to ever score. Yep. But if it's a much more like I think it seemed more cohesive. Like yeah. adding Heath seemed to have kind of dipped the cohesion a little bit. Yeah. So now Andresinia, Horan, Sinclair able yeah. to actually work in the middle of the park the way that 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 uh, connection supposed to be. And now Heath can get out and do what she needs to do. And so yeah. I thought it created a lot moving forward with that midfield three. We'll yeah. see where then Ellie Comberger fits in. I mean, because she's right. coming off the bench at the weekend, but clearly she's going to have a role to play. It's just yeah. where is that going to be? Right. Well, and I think they're, you know, Haran and Sinclair and Heath, I mean, their movement just is so hard to defend. I mean, they're, they just are dynamically. Their movement is just so dynamic. And then when they get into that final third, it's hard to track them. And not only is their movement dynamic, then you add, you know, they're good on the ball. They're quick. They're, you know, Sinclair is hard to defend on in the air. I mean, you, they've got so much to bring that it's hard to keep track of what you need to do to shut them down. <laughs> so it's like, oh, well, um, we're going to just, we're going to organize and make sure we're behind the ball. Oh, well, that's great. But then they're just going to play a ball in behind. And now you're worrying about the ball in behind. So I think they're just a hard group to defend. Yeah. I mean, and you're, in essence, you're getting into the attack more in a three, three, four. Yeah. Almost, you know, I mean, like Sinclair gets higher, Klingenberg yep. and Purse, one of the two of them at least is going to be very, very high. Mm-hmm. And so now you're attacking a back four with almost four, sometimes five if the weak side wing back gets there as well so it's there's always an option to keep possession of the ball in high areas of the park but not just keep it there you can actually move it to open players and have spaces and so it's a very difficult system to play against but it has to be on and i think in previous weeks what has happened is the passing hasn't necessarily been quite as crisp And so mm-hmm. now you're losing in transition and teams have been able to get out and move quickly yeah. against three backs, one or right. two central midfielders kind of in a pocket. And so now, and then you add the fact that you're 80 French, who's probably, who was last year's goalkeeper of the year. It hasn't been in the goal to kind of save you. Maybe a la Alyssa Nair has for Chicago, the right. three yeah. games yeah. or so. And so now you're you're maybe a goal behind that you wouldn't have given up before. Ultimately, they were able to versus Washington kind of put it together. Yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, with Washington, I think the whole game was back and forth. Like you were saying earlier, I think that there was a lot of attack and a lot of shots that were going on. And I think that for Washington, it's not, you know, this loss for them. I mean, it's a rough one to lose, but – in the same breath, they played a good game. I mean, they were putting together, you know, I think they're doing a good job up top, their movement. They do a very good job, I think, of isolating defenders one-on-one. Um, now how can they capitalize on that? So once they've isolated, you know, I mean, Mal on the ball can dribble somebody and isolate somebody one-on-one. She can dribble to a group of three people and then somehow isolate a kid out because she's just with her speed on the ball and the way she's dribbling, she'll cut inside and pull you out of a gap. And now you're one-on-one with her. And I think with that, they've got to start to figure out now, okay, we can do all of this. How are we going to finish? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's figuring out a way to get. I mean, you have very dynamic fullbacks. How do you get Smith and Dadasco yep. moving higher up the field on the ball? Like, how do yep. you how do you get moving defenders for the opposition? who have to somehow take care of Dadesco and Smith. And so it's it's linking those players, I think, in the attack that's going to create a few more goal-scoring opportunities for them. But, I mean, like I said, I felt like there were plenty of opportunities. I mean, this game yeah. could have been either whatever score you want right? <laughs> um, going either way. It just yeah. was a matter of execution at the final ball. Mm-hmm. I think, and it was just a back, it was a, I think these weeks of games was like, they were just good back and forth games. And this one specifically was a good back and yeah. forth. Like you could have, I don't think anyone could have been like, if you watched that game and didn't have a score up there, I don't think anyone could have been like, oh, so-and-so should have won. Like it was, it was so back and forth that you were like, okay, easily Washington could have won, easily Portland could have won, easily they could have tied. Right, yeah. I mean, you just don't – that was a good back-and-forth game. And I think defensively, both teams got organized behind the ball. Like, even though there were chances, obviously there weren't enough, like, crisp chances where it was like, oh, you know. <laughs> I think there were good organization behind the ball. I mean, there was a lot of blocks defensively, good goalkeeping. I mean, it was just, I think, a well-put-together game overall. Yeah, I mean you you're talking about 24 shots between both teams. Exactly. <laughs> that's I mean that's a fair number of right. of shots coming, you know, that's it's a pretty attacking attacking right. game. So it's, you know, how do you then maybe slow it down? I mean, do you just play that way or do you embrace it right. or do you want to slow it down and maybe execute with fewer shots but you're executing right. maybe more goals. So right. something to We'll see as it, as it kind of moves on. Yeah. The execution, a big deal in the North Carolina Sky Blue game. Um, a bit of a, a few execution issues maybe for oh, Sky Blue. I think if you're talking about playing North Carolina and you're given a penalty, oh, like it's one of the few times that people are going to be scoring on North Carolina. Yep. Um, so – but Roland has stepped up and Big time. You know, being being the backup this year, she has stepped yeah. up and played a massive role in keeping three points going on the board for North Carolina. Yeah, and I think this game, I mean, it's a 2-1 score, but I think first probably 10 minutes, Sky Blue was, I mean, watching the game, I think going into it, most people are thinking, okay, North Carolina wins this game, no problem. But then you start to watch it, and then the first 10 minutes, Sky Blue was all over North Carolina. I mean, they had really good opportunities, dangerous chances, um, and North Carolina couldn't, you know, it almost looked like they were just off a little bit. You know, like they were looked a little bit slower. Maybe they were tired. I don't know what it was, but that first 10 minutes just looked a little bit rough. Um, and then I think after that, <laughs> they kind of did their thing, scored their two goals, two crisp goals. Um, and I think, you know, but I do think it was a better game for Sky Blue. I think this is a better performance we've seen. I think Carly Lloyd, we finally got to see a little bit more of her, even though she missed the PK. You know, she scored the set piece goal. Yeah. Um, and I think she was just a little bit more active in the attack, which I think helps Sky Blue with pressure. Because if you're, 
if you're attack, if you're pressing in the attack and you're getting opportunities and you're getting involved, people have to worry about you defensively. If you're not and you're just sitting back, they just go at you. And I think this was the first time I've seen we've seen Sky Blue kind of break out a little bit and have more opportunities, more pressure. Um, but with that, I mean, North Carolina did what North Carolina did. And I think after about 15, 20 minutes, they kind of took over the game and it was too late when they scored a goal. Yeah. I mean, I think you, it, Katie Johnson, this, this game was able to actually apply a bit more pressure higher up yep. the park. Yep. I don't know that it translated for me into everybody else then pulling in behind her to support, yep. which is, you know, now you're creating a, a gap centrally yep. that North Carolina would love to put Mewis and Zabroni <laughs> right in between yep. um, to do their damage. So I think outside of that first quarter of the first half that you're talking yep. about, it's, I mean, they, they're basically playing then with six to seven players in your yep. attacking half right. all the, all, for the rest of the game. And so Basically. now North Carolina is, I mean, their entire midfield four, they're obviously they're attacking to spend all their average position time in the front half. Yeah. And, and then you've also got Hinkle doing it as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, the, so, Good luck. and Katie Johnson is the one playing <laughs> in the opposite half for New Jersey. So I think. Yeah when you look statistically, you know, and that's, it's not always a tale of something that happens, but I mean, 38% in the first half of possession for yep. Sky Blue is, yep. is a tough, tough road to, to come off of. And you can't get people, you can, if you can't get Groom and McCaskill against Matthias and Hinkle, yeah, no. you're just, you're conceding too much ground. And so now yep. you've got too many people on your doorstep. And I mean, you're always, are you going to be, trying to open up a game versus New Jersey, probably not, or versus North Carolina, probably not. But right. at the same time, you've got to figure out a way, I think, to match them, which means yeah. you've got to put your defenders in positions where their attackers are. And that just didn't seem like the matchup was was there for Jersey as they played. Score line, like, you know, take the score line out of it. Yeah. It just looked like North Carolina was able to have their way in the midfield in the yeah key areas that I think we've talked about tons for yep. this team is yep. you have to deal with Cerrone and Mewis. Yep. And I don't feel like they Jersey really concentrated on doing that. No. Well, if you don't, and the thing is, if you don't deal with Cerrone and Mewis, then they feel free to distribute as they want. And like we said, you're now distributing to, you want Hinkle in? Do you want Dunn in? Do you like, who would you like to pick to put in? And if you don't deal with them and you give them too much space, I mean, Zabroni and Mewis themselves, obviously, because Mewis scored, but, like, they can score themselves. So if you don't deal with them, um, then now they either can take it themselves or they can distribute to any of the other four on their team that they want to get in the box, get in forward, get a good serve, get whatever. And now all of a sudden you're kind of behind the eight ball. Yeah, and we – I mean, we talk about the kind of direct play – of North Carolina yeah. at times that it, you know, they were dominating a game yeah. when they don't have to play direct, like when they can play exactly. in their system, when they can yep. play in their buildup and they were able to play in their buildup far too often yep. uh, in this match. And I, I mean, it's, 
it's not I think McCaskill actually had a good match. Yep. I thought she played well, but I think just she didn't have enough support. Like it's it's hard to find the support in areas yep. where you can then open up on the other side. Yeah, they were and I think they were more so like defending in like just ones individually. Yeah. Like they were doing things individually. So like McCaskill would do her thing, but then no one was supporting her. Carly Lloyd would do her thing and then no one was supporting her. Johnson would do her thing and no one was supporting her. And that's so now how do we move towards team defending for, right. for Sky Blue? And that I mean that's the question. Old for those coaches, youth coaches of you out there, you know, this hunting in packs idea. Yep. Has got to somehow come into play, especially yeah, when you're talking about against these players in North yeah. Carolina. Yeah. And so that's a you, you're not typically going to be able to do it alone. No. And I think, although as saying that Chicago was able to get a tie out of it at North Carolina, basically one v one matching up with True. everybody in the park. So right. there's there's you know maybe I'm talking outside of both sides of my face here but you know i I don't know that that's necessarily going to work for every team in the league yeah no no i'm with you i agree the cs speaking of chicago boom what a segue there boom chicago (laughs) zero zero with seattle rain on a cold rainy night in the pacific northwest foggy everything oh it was video was foggy downpour <laughs> it was oh my goodness i mean it, and it didn't even look like they had covers for the benches until like 20 minutes yeah. into the game or something crazy right all the staff were soaking wet <laughs> I was like, hmm. so cold rainy night in seattle uh at memorial stadium you know that's a that's a tough game yeah to go to uh, I would say even for Seattle. I mean, that's just yeah. the, those are those aren't ideal conditions, uh, which probably accounted for a bit into the result. Uh, yeah, hard to hard to be clinical uh, under those conditions. Yeah, and I think I mean this is another game. I think similar to um, Washington Portland. I think it's a good game. It was a very competitive game. I think it was back and forth. Um, I think. Seattle probably had a little bit more of the possession in the first half. Um, But saying that, I think Chicago did a good job of getting organized defensively and behind the ball. Um, And so I think it was a good game. I mean, it was both – I think both goalkeepers came up big. Um, Nair was fantastic, and this is the, what, second, third week in a row that she's been unbelievable. Um, So I think – you know, she, they both came up with huge saves, which kept both teams in the game. Um, but I don't think I don't think this is a bad result. I don't think for either team. I think this is you know kind of cruddy conditions, good game. Both teams are fighting. I mean, it was a good game. Yeah, I think. I mean, if if you have to, obviously going away to somewhere like this, yep. is gives you maybe the slight moral victory. Yep. In in the tie. And Chicago yep. hasn't shut out teams in recent matches. Yep. So I think for them, maybe a little slightly more of a moral victory, uh, if there's such a thing in ties, uh, going to Seattle and getting a result here. Yep. You know, for Seattle Rain, it's their home field. But I mean, you have to think Houston lost in a 0 3 match, lost 0 3 in yep. Chicago under probably pretty similar conditions as well. Yeah. So. Right. Chicago would be the one team that might be used to this sort of a 
exactly. environment. And so Seattle, I, I thought, obviously Seattle's been very good. And Taylor got a 1v1 versus Nair early on. Yep. Um, yep. And great save by Nair to get in front of that ball and just, I mean, she's done what she's been doing for the past few weeks, which is just mm-hmm. throwing herself in front of everything and being yep. so aggressive, even in like the possession. I mean, like you yep. look at where she's starting her positions just to get on the ball and maybe keep it with Notton and Johnson. Yep. She's so high and so aggressive and it's been working brilliantly for Chicago. Yeah. But it was, Keeping Rapino at bay. I mean, yes. I think that's no matter what you're doing, if you're playing Seattle, the game is going to be won and lost on can you keep Rapino yeah. and maybe make Taylor Kawasumi Fishlock yeah. beat you. Yep. Yep. Well, and you've got, I think the thing is with Seattle is their, their interchange between their midfielders and their forwards is crazy. And you have to be on your toes and organized behind it all the time. And Rapino, I mean, she's all over the place all the time. And so you have got if you keep her isolated and you just do you just keep her kind of away from everybody else <laughs> and yeah. out of your out of your 18. And I think that's Chicago did a good job of it. And like I said, I think defensively they got they got organized. They were behind the ball. I think Fishlock would come in and come up top. And I think they did a good job of just kind of keeping everything in front of them. I mean, minus the the breakaway, I felt like they did a really decent job of that. And especially in the conditions. I mean, people don't talk about it. I mean, I played defense and you're a goalkeeper. You don't like wet. Wet is not good. I mean, you don't, it's unpredictable. Yeah. And I think, you know, for Chicago to keep it so tight in the back, um, that that was a good thing for them. I think it was a good takeaway for them. Yeah, two shots on target for Rupino. One yeah. of them was blocked. <laughs> yeah, good save. So I think, yeah. you know, and yeah, and then Nair had the save on the other one, which mm-hmm. I think if you're gonna if you're gonna give it to somebody on that shot from that distance, the way yeah. Nair's been playing, I think I'm gonna absolutely I'm gonna give that one to Nair probably to make that save. times. (laughs) I mean, is that, was that super dangerous, you know, for Chicago? Did, you know, did they feel under pressure in that moment? Right. Probably they were okay. Yep. But on the other side, Sam Kerr, no shots on target. So as much as they dealt with Rapino, Seattle was able to deal with the attacking threat for Chicago as well. So balanced on both sides, maybe. Right. Well, I think, and that's where I think for Chicago and I think even for Seattle, I think on both sides, you're going to, they both are going to have to start. I think, especially from this game, you got to take away and go, how are we going to get Rapino in a spot? If somebody's starting to shut her down, either a, how do we get her out of that? How are we going to isolate her so that she can get and do her thing or B who's going to step up in the role to now we got to, okay, we can't just watch Rapino. We've got to watch these three other people because they've stepped up. And I think it's the same thing on the Chicago side. Like if Sam Kerr is blocked, how are we going to get someone else involved in the attack so that now maybe that those two center backs can't watch Sam Kerr? They're going to have to all of a sudden now split and, uh uh-oh, this person's more dangerous too. What are we going to do and take care of that? Yeah, and I think you're waiting for – maybe the early season form that Sophia Huerta had. Yep. Yep. You know, it's, it's 
I think she's probably that other person, right? Yep. I mean, at the end of the day, she's probably that player that you're looking at going, yep. she's dynamic, she's aggressive, yep. shots, she has a range of passing, a range of, of finishing as well. And so how do you get Sofia Huerta into a spot to be able to draw yep. away from Kerr? Or if, if you're going to key on Kerr, then she's got to be the one to step into the gap and yep. take care of business. And so to get production out of it. And Huerta had three shots, um, one on target. So, I mean, you're you're there, but if if Sam Kerr isn't getting any production, I think yeah. on any team that Sam Kerr is involved in, if she's not getting shots, then it's probably going to struggle to <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, she's got to – she has to get shots. And I think even if she's not scoring – if she's getting yeah. shots, she's pulling some type of distraction, some type of – she's getting in behind. She's – you know, it opens – and what, you know, a lot of people sometimes don't think about is, is that if she's getting shots, she's opening up. Now defense is given a little bit more room. Maybe they're more occupied with what's going on with her, which opens up a spot for Huerta or whoever to pop in, and now all of a sudden there is space and there is gaps for them to finish. But if she's not getting shots, you kind of don't open up any space for anybody. Yeah, it's and I mean she's playing she's playing in a lone nine role, yeah. Of which I, I understand it's going to be more difficult to get her the ball, but she had the fewest yeah. touches of anybody on the starting eleven, yeah. and so what is she going to do then? Are you going to start seeing her check back? To issue the yeah. type of player who's going to check back and try to get on the ball more, right? And we've seen that with other nines, yeah. Um, you know, specifically maybe Mal. Pew when she's playing yeah. in the nine role and not out on the wing she yeah. tends to come back a lot and now you don't have your high option yep. uh, so figuring out a way to get her more touches get her more keyed in might actually give you opportunity to pull and draw center backs out of position uh, yeah. and I'm sure that that's something that's that's going through the minds of the staff up in Chicago for sure yeah it's it'll be interesting to see kind of what both of those teams do, I think, in the coming weeks. And if both of them, you know, make playoffs, I think you're going to be playing good teams. And so how are you going to – I mean, everyone's going to know about Rapino. Everyone's going to know about Sam Kerr. So what are they going to do to to create opportunities, to create chances, and to get those two um, isolated where they can finish some chances? Yeah, I think it's the likelihood that, you know, you're looking at Seattle, Chicago, or – you know, even Seattle, Portland, Chicago, yep, Portland, something like that in a two-three game yep. for for the uh, for the NWSL playoffs. I think is is probably a pretty high a high ratio there. Yep. So this is certainly the Seattle Chicago game is one of the matchups that you're you're likely to see later on in the year. Right. So I think. Right. It's going to be quite important, and I think Chicago, Seattle play pretty much towards the end of the season as well. Like they right. finish out maybe in the last two or three games, uh, right? Playing each other, so I mean, you're talking about six point swings towards the end of the year, where it's going right. to be very, very important. And these games, like this game, is going to be it's the first time this these two teams have played each other, so yep. they got two more. So yep. you're talking about getting used to what works, seeing what yep. doesn't, and now who's going to be able to make the small adjustments out of their systems to you know, right. maybe just get a little bit of a tweak to help Kerr out. Maybe it's 
you know, like we talked about Werta, maybe getting a little bit more out of that. Right. Watts has three goals on the year. Yeah. Just wasn't able to kind of get on on frame today or this past weekend. Yeah. So, you know, if Mots can get going, I mean, like that's a that's another yeah, that's another well. weapon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, those are those are the things that we're looking at. And Chicago is one of the few teams that does have very, very. I mean, you're still talking about um, having players out. So yeah, Rosie White's <laughs> on the bench, uh, but did not play this this past week. And Casey yep. Short still on the disabled list. So yep. What do those players bring to the table as well? So yeah, watch out for those those yeah. two in the next month or so. <laughs> but Seattle, I mean, Ali Long has been running things in Seattle in a very real way, and I think yep. we talked about the break. I think losing Long, obviously losing Rapino is a big deal to for the game. Yeah, that, that you know the national team players will miss, but losing Long. Long has been That's a great spot. Yeah. I mean, she's controlling the offense for Seattle at this point. Yeah. She's doing an amazing job setting everyone up. So losing long might hurt a little bit. Yeah. The final game of the weekend, Utah Royals in a 1-0 victory versus the Houston Dash. Um, Houston still going with Prince Daly, Ojai up top, Simon in behind, Hanson and Mewis. Um, so putting together a front six, you know, that is keyed up and ready to play uh, in a very real way, but just couldn't quite continue the results that they've been getting um, with a yeah. good Utah side that finally, finally, finally broke through. I didn't watch the press conference with Laura Harvey, but I would <laughs> imagine <laughs> she was pretty excited to finally get three points on the board. Right. Yeah. And I think, I mean, this is a great three points for them. And I think you also have to keep in mind, I mean, it was a one zero win, but um, Utah, I mean, Matheson missed a PK. Um, so it could have been oh, two zero. Another, another, <laughs> another PK. This weekend. <laughs> At least the PKs are legit this time. Cause in the beginning, like first weeks, the PKs were terrible. So <laughs> these ones are actually legitimate PKs. <laughs> uh. But yeah, I, think, I mean, it's. I think you know that was a good game for Utah. I think they're they they've done they've settled in kind of what they're gonna do. Amy Rodriguez is is really. I mean, we all know she's a player, but you know, in the first you know coming weeks when she was coming back, um, she wasn't getting the ninety minutes and whatever. And now she's just, she's her. I think she's. We're starting to see Amy Rodriguez be Amy Rodriguez. I mean, she is. I mean, she created the PK opportunity that had happened. Um, and I think she just, I think she looks good. I mean, she just looks good. I think she's hitting her full stride and it'll be interesting to kind of see what happens in the next few weeks with her. I think she just gets better and better every game. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're obviously hard part for Utah is you're relying a lot on one player right now. Yep. Yep. Um, and so how much, can you really, you know, if if that's your one option that you're kind of waiting on, yeah, I, I think it's it's going to be a difficult side to, or a difficult few weeks until Kelly O'Hara right. can get back, and so, yeah, and we have no idea how long mm -mm. You know, she's going to be out or what's really going on. So I think figuring out how to again, you know, when you have one lone striker who's the one person who's yeah creating all your offense um you know because i don't 
I mean, the the goal is a scrappy, scrappy goal, but it's yep. not necessarily, you know, build up play no. in a system no. type of goal. And so you, you don't know that you can build that consistently. Like that's right. not a consistent way of scoring goals, I guess, uh, unless that's something that they're going to go to, which is just kind of punching it through to the middle. And right. seeing if Young's daughter, Tamarick Matheson, you know, who can get on the end of these right. kind of backside back post balls yeah well and i think young's daughter's i mean young's daughter for me is really good and i think if she can if they can find a way to combine a little bit and that doesn't mean you have to pass it around a hundred times if they can connect you know three or four quick passes with young's daughter matheson or amy or whatever and then send somebody in that's fine but i think like you're saying that goal, I mean, that's, it's a scrappy goal, but you're not, I mean, are you going to get that against North Carolina? You know what I mean? It's you're, you know, are you going to get that against, I mean, you're playing against a Houston team that we've, we've talked about where their backs are kind of, I mean, this has been a discombobulated system. And I think if, you know, you're playing a North Carolina, if you're playing a Seattle, if you're playing a Chicago, you're not going to get, I mean, you might, but yeah. it's going to be very rare for you to get opportunities like that. And I think, you know, can they find a way? They've got the players. I mean, Young's daughter's good. Matheson's good. I mean, Amy Rodriguez is good. Up. I mean, you've got that, those type of players there. So can you combine quickly? Because you may not be a switch it around 20 times team, but can you combine quickly and then find a player in behind that breaks the seal? I mean, it all comes down to moving opposition. Yep. And that's, can you move players? Can you move your opposition? And I think, I mean, objectively, for me at least, I, I was, I guess, subjectively, the back four of Houston probably is the one of the easier back fours to yep. shift. Yep. Uh, I mean, I think you have a non-traditional center back in Brooks. Yep. And the central midfield player playing center back. You have yep. Ben Wick who's coming into a league that maybe has a different feel to it than anything she's been used to. And Kiever and Chapman are league rookies who are coming out of college. I mean, I think yep. consistency and being able to stay organized and not get drawn out versus Houston is a little bit easier than it is yeah. if you go to the other side of maybe Washington where you're talking about you know, Quinn may be a rookie, but she's a top rookie. Mm -hmm. Church, Didasco, Smith, like these are players who have mm -hmm. been around the bend a little bit. <laughs> you know, exactly. and you're talking about a team that is underneath Utah on the table. Even. Yeah. So like, you're not even talking about maybe, you know, more top teams, top yeah. defensive fours. So how much can you move opposition with Young's daughter, Rodriguez, Matheson, versus you know if it if it took that much to get in on Houston you've got to think how right. much more is it going to take for other other teams right well and I think I mean they should and that's the thing like they should be able to pull teams apart I think honestly part of the problem is if you watch some of these other teams I mean if you watch Washington if you're watching Seattle you've got I mean Rapino has no problem running from the left side to the right side and running up top in the center and yeah. running back to the midfield. And I think same thing with Mal. I mean, you've got Mal who's not scared to be left, right, front, middle, back. I mean, <laughs> all over the page. And 
when you're watching, you know, when you watch Utah, I think that they've got that dynamic, you know, group, but how often are they really interchanging? Like how often are they moving midfield to forward, right to left? I mean, how often are they really switching positions? It's not very much. No, I mean, it's, it's not. And I would, I mean, my guess would be that's by design. I mean, cause they are probably the most organized team <laughs> in the league. Right. Yes. I mean, like they are always attacking yeah. with bending in mind. Yes. There's very always. few times that you see them in the attacking third when they don't have defensive shields in right. front of, you know, in the pockets that are yep. stop counterattacks. Scott is exactly. always finding herself is right in the, in the yep. pocket where you're like, I need the ball to go there so we can go to the opposite yep. goal quickly. She's always there. Yeah. So you're, you're giving up something, right? right? At the end of the day, you're giving up defensive organization for offensive transition. Yep. And so how do you balance those two things yep. with the players that you have? And I think the key part that's missing here is Kelly O'Hara. Is yeah, like, I think I she's agree. somebody who can be dynamic and. Yeah. You can kind of let her go. <laughs> if you have that defensive organization mindset and you have a player that can beat players one V one in the middle of the park, no matter what you do, yep. it moves teams, right? Cause now they yep. have to shift cause somebody got beat. It's what yep. Allie Long is doing for Seattle. Yep. She's unlocking midfields because now she, she can beat players One on the ball. Yep. She can beat players in combination. Yeah. And now she can force wide backs, central right. midfielders, center backs to pull in on her right. opening space for other players. Right. So what, that's what I think is the missing yeah. key. It's like if Scott and Gorey, can you get them on the ball beating players 1v1? Yep. Young starter is a higher player yep. or she's kind of a – you know, move around, yep. hit, tackle, yeah. be in all places at once sort of a thing. But she's not driving the ball forward yeah. in the offensive uh, organization. Well, I mean, again, if you're playing against, I mean, like I said, top-notch back fours or whatever, if if their midfielders aren't beating people one-on-one -on -one to pull a player out to help defend, now you're relying on Young's daughter and – you're relying on them to beat someone like Hinkle one-on-one -on -one every time. And you're, Hinkle's a good defender. I mean, the, you're going to – I mean, yes, you can beat her, but, I mean, the the opportunities to beat her one-on-one, -on -one, you've got ten times to do it one-on-one. -on -one. I, I mean, it's rare she's a good defender. I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. You've got to be – but if you're breaking, like you're saying, if you have O'Hare or someone in there, Scott, who can beat a player one-on-one -on -one in the midfield – now all of a sudden maybe Hinkle can't step to Young's daughter because she's got a pinch in and cover because their center backs have now had to step and help because Rodriguez is going to get in behind if you don't step. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it just pulls – it just pulls people if, – if you have, if you beat someone one-on-one, -on -one, you're all of a sudden having to step and cover whoever just got beat, which pulls the defense apart. And I just – they are missing that. They don't have – it's everything's in front, and then we've got to get in behind. And it's hard to do that. Everyone's athletic. Everyone's fast. Everyone's, I mean, it's just hard to do that against teams. Yeah. I mean, and you're, you're looking at a team that is built from the back forward, right? Yeah. I mean, like at yeah. the end of the day, Sauerbrunn and Corsi with Smith behind them. I yeah. Mean, that's a massive triangle in the midfield. Yeah. yeah. And Moros and LB have played well. Bowen, when she's played back there as well. Like, so you've had 
very, very good backs to build. And Smith, I don't know how many times I could probably count on one hand how many times she's punted the ball this year. Right, right. So, I mean, you're always building with a player like Smith into your back four to move the ball forward, which just at the end of the day gives other teams to get organized. And so a team like Houston, you would think would have probably maybe played a little bit deeper and yeah. opened up quite so much. Yeah. But, you know, now they're trying to maybe play a bit more of an attacking style Yeah. Uh, after the success they've had with kind of the direct play with Daly. But at the end of the day, teams I think are sitting off just a little bit on Utah yep. and waiting to counter press. Yep. But not out of the their defensive third, out of the middle third. And so, yeah. and that's a good way. Pull, can you pull Sauerbrunn wide? If you right. can get around Moros, can you pull Sauerbrunn into the width? And yep. now you can deal with 1v1 opportunities versus Corsi and not have having to do that against the best center back. Yeah. <laughs> Arguably the best center back in the league. Right. Uh, and one of the maybe top five center backs in the entire world. So I think yeah. that's a, a big tactical draw is how can yeah. you get Sauerbrunn to have to cover in flank spaces? Right. Um, but they were very, very good about keeping Sauerbrunn very central. Yeah. Uh, which meant Daly, I mean, frankly, Daly just wasn't able to Mm-mm. create the opportunities with the depth that they have, which is different from a team like Chicago. Yeah. Right? So Houston plays Chicago. Johnson and Naughton play very high. High up. Very much in the attack. They're yep. set in play. You know, Sauerbrunn is just, I'm going to hang out. and. Yep, I'm just going to let every sit in, in front, front of me. Of me. <laughs> and Daly wasn't able to do, you know, so it's a good matchup for Utah. Yeah, well, and I think I think Daly got in like one time, and I think if you watch Laura Harvey, she flipped out because it was offsides. But I think that was the, I mean, it was the one time they really got in. I mean, and fair enough on the flip out because I probably would have lost it too because I mean that was the one really, really, really good opportunity that they had. Um, and other than that, I mean, they just kept everything in front of them. I mean, Houston just couldn't. I feel like they couldn't break the seal. They couldn't get in behind. They couldn't. They really couldn't – they just couldn't put something together enough to make it super dangerous. I mean, and like I said, the game, you know, it was 1-0, but I really felt like Utah for the most part was more of a dominating factor in the game. Yeah, I don't – I mean, I'd have to check, but did Utah – or did Houston have a shot on goal uh, in that game? Uh, I would – I think it was only the one that was offsides. Oh, okay, yeah. So but they didn't call offsides. No <laughs> – uh, let's see. Stats are saying no shots on target. So it didn't even count as a shot. No, see, there we go. no shots on target uh, for yeah. Houston the entire time. Yeah. I would say a lot in. So Daly had two shots, one blocked, one not on yep. target. And so you're talking about not being able to get in behind yep. on a team like, you know, Utah, Laura Harvey and staff doing a great job of taking a look at what Houston was able to do over the last two games. Right, and right countering that very easily i mean they've clearly if a team doesn't get a single shot on goal you're clearly dominating defensively right this was a matter of scoring which is what we've been talking about utah for how many weeks now right well and this is i mean like i said it's a good game for them to win because houston's been tying people and pulling ties from you know i mean they've been taking points from people and this was a good win for them to you know first utah to just pick up the three and you know, I mean, because Houston tied Portland one yeah. one. I mean, you know what I mean? They're just picking up. 
they yeah. beat you know, New Jersey. I mean, so they're yeah. picking up points. So it's not like I mean, this is this is something that people need to look out and go, wow, that is a good win for Utah. I mean, this is a win that they need to really go, okay, yep, it means a lot more than, you know, just, oh, okay, we just another win. This is a great win for them. Stay tuned yep. for this interview oh, so coming good. up. Um, it's it's a massive, I think Sierra and I really, really enjoyed it was having, fun. having a chat. <laughs> so. We have lots and lots to talk about, so stay tuned <laughs> for that on the NWSL Rewind. Welcome again to the interview portion of the NWSL Rewind presented by Modern Soccer Coach. Uh, every week we're trying to bring you interviews from people who have an amazing view on this league. People who have an opinion, who can see the league, where it is, where it's been, and hopefully where it's going. And this week is absolutely no exception. Uh, we have Anthony DiCicco here with us. He's going to talk for for a bit with us. Uh, most of the time we have one interview we might have a couple of weeks that we'll go over and let Anthony uh, talk so because we don't want to stop Anthony from being able to say whatever it is that he wants to say so we appreciate you joining us Anthony today how you doing I'm doing well thanks thanks for having me appreciate being here and in another treat all of you love this typically Sierra and I are not together in the interview but Sierra is here live in person how you doing Sierra I'm good how are you Great, great. So, Anthony, just do us a favor. And for, I mean, there's probably not many people who don't know you, but, you know, for those who may not, can you just kind of give us a little rundown of who you are and uh, how you came to this point in your soccer life? I can, I can try. That's, uh, <laughs> that, that seems like a much more daunting task uh, when you put it like that. Uh, most people probably know me if they know me uh, through my father. That's uh, you know obviously an important piece. Uh, my father was the uh, U.S. Women's National Team coach from '94 to '99, and and uh, the Olympic coach in that in that run as well in '96. Um, and then uh, prior to that, in 1982, he had he had founded a company called Soccer Plus. So when I finished uh, school, when I finished college at James Madison University, I came back to Connecticut. And uh, began to get involved in the the business and in, in Soccer Plus with him, which uh, ended up being four different companies: a youth club, a consultancy, the camps, particularly the goalkeeper school, which we were known for, uh, kind of across the country. And then we had a, a 501c3 not for profit called the uh, the Education Center. Um, so I ran those for for a stretch, and then uh, have bounced around with a couple of uh, Division One. Uh, stints at uh, University for a couple of seasons and a short-term one at uh, uh, UCLA in 2016. Uh, later in 2016, I was with Lisa Cole on the staff for Papua New Guinea at the U20 World Cup in Papua New Guinea. And uh, for the past five years, I've been the director of soccer for AstroTurf. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, that the we'll definitely get into the Papua New Guinea because I want to I want to hear more kind of about that and how that was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and certainly we're going to get into that. 
Um, but if you if you permit me a little bit, just to kind of um, as I mean, and you'll see, like I'm in the GK union, and so you you forgive me a bit of just being able to kind of uh, pay respects to your father and what he kind of did for the entire game, but specifically goalkeepers and the the soccer plus arena and kind of how he's developed people throughout the years. And so for me personally, uh, I just wanted to you know just pay my personal respects to to, to him and you and your family for for all that he's done. I I appreciate that, and and there is something special about um, you know about goalkeeping and about goalkeepers, and and uh, you know there's there's uh, threads that run deep into every aspect of the game that uh, you know that goalkeeping really exemplifies. You know, there's not a surprise; it shouldn't be a surprise to people that goalkeepers go on to be uh, coaches because of the the accountability, the responsibility, the the leadership demands it, it's you know the ability to communicate all all of those things factor into our into the rest of our lives and uh you know so uh, i mean i will always be proud of the goalkeeper school and they're still running programs are yeah. running this summer uh, my my uh, youngest brother nicholas is one of the directors with the the field player academy um and it's still if not the best one of the best environments in the country for goalkeepers and field players absolutely absolutely so after kind of you on the business side of of the soccer plus arena for much of it, and then you've had a few stints, like you said, at university. But I'm very intrigued with the the time that you spent with Lisa Cole at Papua New Guinea. Um, given, I mean, Lisa's no longer with the Houston Dash, but uh, she spent time as an assistant on the Houston Dash, coming off of the attempt to qualify and all that kind of stuff. So I, I feel I just can you give us a rundown of of how that sort of came to be and like how you ended up on staff uh, for well, it, a national team from, kind of across the ocean? Yeah, it stems from the goalkeeper school. Uh, you know, in, in 1996, Lisa Cole uh, joined uh, Soccer Plus Goalkeeper School because there wasn't a field player academy at that point um, on staff. And she, you know, many people. People don't know this, but Lisa was a, a tremendous goalkeeper uh, for the legendary Dr. Colleen Hacker at Pacific Lutheran uh, University. Uh, but Lisa was one of those people. She she understood that there was, you know, goalkeepers are cut from a from a special fabric. And one of the great things about the goalkeeper school was its ability to bring people together. And it does that now. But there was a time when it was, you know, people would, would lose their shit over the things that were happening. After the 1990 World Cup, you know, we had World Cup goalkeepers coming into camp and talking to, you know, to players. Uh, the, the legendary uh, uh, Chelsea and England keeper, Peter Benetti, was a, was a mentor of my father's. So here you have a guy who's won the World Cup coming and working with youth goalkeepers. So Lisa got into the environment and she was, you know, it was a second family for her straight away. And uh, so we, we've uh, been close and stayed in touch uh, for the past, you know, 20, 22 years now. And, um, you know, during the WPS days, she was my father's assistant with the Boston Breakers. And one of the things about Lisa is she's always been uh, active in, in serving, uh, you know, the soccer community, the broader soccer community. And so, you know, she worked with the Soccer Plus Education Center. She'd done mission work in, in Brazil and, and uh, Central America. And so she was a natural fit when, it, of course, it made sense that she would take on this opportunity when, when it was uh, presented. And so I, I talked to her for the first, uh, you know, six or, or seven months that she was bouncing back and forth between state college and uh, Papua New Guinea. And one of the things she arranged was 
uh, for this Papua New Guinea World Cup team, this U-20 World Cup team, to come do a stateside tour. And that was in uh, in August of, of 2016. And they went to, to uh, Washington State, and then they went to uh, Pennsylvania, where obviously was, she was based, and, uh, and then down to Washington, D.C., played a whole bunch of college teams, but really, you know, took the – uh, these players and, and utilize that trip as a uh, an opportunity to build a team and, and used it as a, a catalyst to try to you know make up what is essentially a, a non-existent history of you know women's soccer in Papua New Guinea. Uh, they have a team that goes to qualifying occasionally, but it's been you know very disorganized and and uh, you know a, a challenge. So when she was on the the U.S. tour, uh, I was coming off of that uh, that stint I, would, I did with UCLA. Their goalkeeper coach uh, Eleni Reese had gone to the Olympics with Brazil, so I filled in for her during preseason, and uh, and then I went and joined Lisa for the second half of that uh, that U.S. tour. And once I got to know the the, the girls, the young women, you know they're they're incredible because of course they are to, to undertake that level of, of risk, you know, in terms of stepping into the unknown and, and, uh, you know, breaking out, you know, I was, I was uh, a fan of theirs from the moment, uh, you know, from the moment I met them. So, uh, at that point I had to, to work pretty hard to figure out how to, to, you know, get to Papua New Guinea and make that happen. Um, but I, you know, kind of was persistent about it. And I kept, uh, you know, working to, to, uh, make myself available and, uh, and then, you know, booked a flight and ended up carrying the, the team kits from, uh, Eurosport from soccer.com. Uh, I had to check four bags. They almost didn't let me through, uh, through customs when I landed, but, uh, you know, obviously it's Papua New Guinea. So everything had to be done a little bit differently than, than we would do it if you're coaching, you know, the U S national team. Yeah, absolutely. And so now once you've, I mean, what were, what was coaching that group of young women like? I mean, they have a, a completely different cultural background from yourself and any of the staff really, you know, they're, they're part of that is them being in the States. I mean, was that the first time here or? Oh, it was, was the first time most of these women had been on a, on an international flight. You know, some had traveled to other, uh, you know, oceanic countries for, mm -hmm. for some competitions, but, uh, no one, no one in that group had ever done anything, you know, anything like this. And, you know, Lisa was very deliberate about the, the trip and, you know, understood that, you know, we weren't going to win the world cup, right. That was never on the equation. And, and on top of that, we drew an absurdly difficult group in, uh, in Sweden, Brazil, and, uh, North Korea. <laughs> So, okay. so, you know, the, no problems there talk about getting thrown into the deep end of the pool. Uh, so the awareness of, of what this was, was never lost on Lisa. And that was a, a chance to, to, uh, not only change these young women's lives, but to utilize the world cup coming to Papua New Guinea and maximize, maximize its, its impact in what is a, a, a very different society to, to uh, the one we know. And, you know, I've traveled all over the world. It's different to anywhere else I've ever been um, in, in both its, uh, you know, the geographic challenges of just getting around the country uh, to the, uh, you know, very different um, uh, experiences of, of these young women living in different parts of the country, 
there's something like 800 languages spoken in Papua New Guinea. I mean, it's a, it's a different, you know, it's just a different experience. So, you know, we, we talk about coming together as a soccer nation and what we have to appreciate is that our shared experiences are much more similar than these girls shared experiences. But the one experience that they did share, share that Lisa was very aware of is that it's, it's not a particularly kind society to women. Um, you know, about 70% of women, uh, you know, experience sexual assault or, or, uh, you know, or violence, uh, you know, uh, gender-based violence in that society. So, you know, all of these women, all these girls have been told by society for a very long time that you're nothing, that the men matter, that, you know, that this is just how it is. And, what the World Cup presented was an opportunity for them to step out in a way that very few women in their uh, country ever have. So it was uh, it was powerful. Yeah, that's I mean, because you're dealing with soccer as a secondary, you know, it's, all, it's almost tertiary to like the thing that you're there for. I mean, because you have to deal with people on the people level. Uh, and one big thing we're always big on is Donna Fisher and kind of how she talks about coaching and it's connecting people to people first. Um, mm -hmm. And their primary connection isn't going to be soccer at that point. It's going to be whether that's just survival or trying to not be, um, you know, a victim of some type of crime. I mean, those things are massively paramount <laughs> to anything that has to do with a, with a ball. And so, I mean, I think that that's big just to kind of hear how that experience was and just to, to hear what that was like. Well, you're right in saying that the, the, the soccer is secondary or tertiary, you know, to uh, the, the, the um, you know, the societal challenges that, that exist in a place like that. Um, but the soccer was the conduit. So okay. the first game we go out and we play Brazil in the first game. And I think we lost that game nine, nothing. And the, the uh, you know, which was actually a uh, okay result for us because we, one of, one of our goals was not to set the record, right? I think the record was, was 10 um, or, or something like that. Uh, but it was also a, you know, a wake up call for, you know, the people of Papua New Guinea, for the players, you know, that our challenges are, are different. So then we went out and played Sweden and we played better in the Sweden game. Um, but we still hadn't scored a goal. We, I think we lost that game five, uh, could have been seven. The numbers run, run a little bit in my head. It uh, must have been seven because we, we conceded 22. But then we play North Korea in the third game. And North Korea score fairly early, maybe the eighth or ninth minute. And then in the 16th minute, uh, Nicolette, uh, playing up top, takes a brilliant ball through and it comes from our, our captain Yvonne and she scored our movie moment. She scores the goal that causes a nation to turn its head and to take notice. And all of a sudden the, the, the scale of the challenge that they were undertaking going out, going out and playing against the very best in the world, uh, you know, was, was realized. And, uh, they they became national heroes. And, you know, we talk about other young girls seeing these women in that light. And that's obviously very important and, and adults as well. But the one that's key to me 
is for young boys to see these women as heroes, to recognize them for, for what they have just done and, and what they've just accomplished in coalescing this, uh, this team. And so we, we got in, you know, it happened after that. The North Korea coach subbed on two first half subs, his two best players. And we got to the 30 minute water tied one, one. And it was you know, everything that we could have, we could have hoped. Now we conceded a soft goal right before we, we conceded three goals in the, in the 30th to 45th minute. I think two of them were, were fairly soft goals that, that we let up. So there's a big difference between, and one of them was, was a deserved goal, but there's a big difference between going into the half two, one versus four, one. But you know, what people don't understand in an environment like that was the emotional investment and energy that these, these girls had, had, uh, you know, expended in, in all three of the games, but in the entire, you know, year being asked to do things that they had never done. Uh, and Lisa was the perfect coach to, to guide them through that process. Yeah. I can't imagine what the emotional, physical, psychological, energy expulsion it would have taken just to score that one goal like what is on the other side of a 16th like what is 17th minute after you score the first goal in the 16th minute so i mean it wouldn't surprise me that there would be because it would be very hard to like once that adrenaline is gone that adrenaline is gone and so from a coach it would be really hard to kind of like you'd, you'd almost recognize that that was bound to happen just because at 16, that was the glory moment of a lot of people's lives. It's a little bit like a, a tennis match, right? Where you you know you don't know how long it's going to take, but you know you've got your target, right? I got to get my six or seven points to win this this set. For us, that target was the goal, and so you know the the next challenges that face that team and those that program is you know, to learn how to not concede the first goal and to, you know, stay in games and to survive, you know, shorten the game. But, uh, you know, for them, it was, you know, they, they reached the, the, the pinnacle that they were, you know, they were looking for. And, uh, you know, there was obviously a letdown, you know, after that point and North Korea went on to win the tournament. I mean, North Korea was <laughs> right. a, you know, fantastic, uh, you know, fantastic side, but it was the next day the next day the team got together in the fan zone or the fan fest uh, with Alex Scott and Alex Scott was brought in by FIFA. Alex Scott just retired for anybody who doesn't know from Arsenal after uh, you know, very uh, you know, long career there. Illustrious career. Yeah. Played briefly in the, for the Boston breakers, but, uh, but you know, will forever be known as an Arsenal player, but Alex Scott, who's also one of these people who, you know, just gets it. I mean, she just gets it. She flew all the way across the world uh, to participate in these, you know, awareness campaigns. And she marched in an end violence, uh, you know, rally in, in Port Moresby in the capital city. Uh, but to see her with this team on the stage, and again, I've got some some great photos, but of the young boys in the audience to, to internalize the moment. I mean, it was, it was fantastic. You know, it was it was something I'll treasure for a very, very long time. So you I mean, you've had the privilege of kind of being in some amazing soccer cultures, Um, you know, just soccer coaching environments where players were at a high level, whether that's a development level like it was in Papua New Guinea. Talk to us about kind of just what you see. What is your philosophy around? 
coaching culture, like creating an environment for your for players uh, to be successful, whatever that might mean for whatever team you might be coaching. Well, that's that's the key. You just hit on the key, which is you know, what are the characteristics of coach that are transferable, no matter what what team, what level, and it translates to you know to the rest of of life. Well. And we can go back, you know, 20 years to, you know, the era of, you know, the end of the era of, and, and you know, coaches, uh, you know, of that vein, uh, you know, who, you know, the Bill Cowers, who kind of embody what we think of as the old football coach, right? Um, but it, what had happened during that period, there came of, of age, the national team coach at the optimal moment was ending of what, what you were talking about earlier and Colleen Hacker has been a, uh, for so long, which is humanity in your coaching, the, the in, in your coach. And how do, how do you create the conditions for your players to achieve op? And so we look at guys like Phil Knight, you know, right. You know, we're talking about him as being Zen, you know, before, you know, pop of, or Kerr. And there's a lot of, you see a lot of Kerr in, you know, in, uh, um, you know, in coach night, but, you know, fortunately for me, my father is, is, uh, you know, one, you know, I can say this with, with total awareness and, and unbiased was one of these optimal, uh, you know, mentors in that he was not only, recognizing how to bring his background as a teacher and what, you know, I've got the books on the shelf here, what, uh, you know, Phil Knight and Bill Belichick and all these other guys were doing. Uh, but he was doing it himself and, and Colleen Hacker and his players were coaching him through becoming the greatest coach he could be. And that's what the, the book he wrote, Catch Them Being Good was about was the story is, in 98 teams in China. So, you know, 18 months before the, the 99 world cup and he was not being a great coach. He was, you know, harping on details and really nitpicking and, and giving his, uh, his players a hard time. And some of the players came into his room to meet with them and said, are you going to cut us? And he, he thought it was a joke at first. He didn't quite get it. And he said, no, no, you're the core of our team. You're what we're going to build a, a championship squad around you. Of course, I'm not going to cut you. And they said, well, then, then back off a little bit, you know, lay off because you're, you're getting on us. And, and so he and the staff met about that. You know, th there's so many things about that that I love. Number one, that you have players, and in this particular case, women, who feel confidently enough to call out their coach for something that's not good enough. And, and number two, for him to not get defensive about it, but to assemble the staff and say, okay, this is what's happening. This is the feedback we're getting. So how do we do better? And, and what Hacker came up with is the title of the book, Catch Them Being Good. And so for the duration of that camp, they only coach the positive. You know, and, and basically the strategy being they're going to screw up. We know they're going to screw up. It's easy. It's the low-hanging fruit to tell them when they screw up. But what they didn't fully appreciate in that moment that is now much more uh, common knowledge, if not common practice, is that uh, the player also knows they screwed up. Everybody else on the field knows that they screwed up. Mm 
So you coach that. What you have to do is catch them, and this is much harder, when they do do perfectly. Them to that experience as that was great. Do that again. Go back that again. You beat her, but not only your next touch was in behind her. So you put her in your back pocket and you were able to break in on goal. And then you, you got a great service cross. Hey, it didn't come off. We didn't score the goal that time, but that's how we're going to score a goal some point in this tournament or some point in the season. Keep doing that. You know, and I, one of the things that, um, you know, in coaching school and just about any, any session you'll ever watch, you know, Think about how many times, and I know U.S. soccer used to harp on this. I don't know if they still do, the stoppages, right? Coaches love to stop training when something went wrong. When was the last time you saw a coach, or if your coaches are listening, when was the last time you as a coach stopped play to tell your team that was perfect or that was great, do that again? Mm -hmm. Or even just to celebrate one player. Hey, I don't know if you guys saw it because uh, XYZ was happening, but did you see that run that Sally made to the near post that opened up that seam that allowed us to finish that? You know, Mm -hmm. hey, Sally, that goal doesn't happen without you. You know, those are the, the, that next level of coaching that that he was, uh, you know, not only a champion of, but then someone who spent the rest of his career trying to, you know, uh, share with with other coaches through NSCA courses and soccer champions clinic and all kinds of other places. Sorry, I know that went out a little long. But. No, no, that's good. <laughs> uh, no, I'm going to sit and listen and <laughs> make sure we, you know, write a few notes my own self, and hopefully others will will do the same as we go through this. This has been the NWSL Rewind. Have an opinion on the games? Let us hear it on Twitter using hashtag NWSL Rewind. And check us out at ModernSoccerCoach.com.